You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, the running public. This is the Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Bracken, you you have an interesting wardrobe choice today. I'm so bundled up. I'm freezing. Why are you freezing, Bracken? I don't know if you ever get this. If I'm drinking a lot of liquids and haven't eaten a lot and I'm not moving, getting cold happens way quicker and worse for me. I'm the same way. Okay. For so sure. I'm not just a strange person. No, but you have like this Sugoi jacket on. Underneath it, you have a hoodie on over your head. Mm-hmm. You're really bundled up. When I start to shiver, which... I start very easily and quickly if I'm not moving. I lose the ability to talk. You know how your hands start moving real slow when you're cold? That's how my lips are and my tongue. They just stop working. I wouldn't be good as a podcast host if you just really fell apart on me over there. And I was starting to fall apart, so I had to quick bundle up. I actually was looking for my dry robe, and I couldn't find it. Ah, uh, yeah, I have one of those too. I've, I've never worn it. Really? But It's so good. It is. It's. I mean, it's. I, it, you feel like you're about to enter like the WWE ring. Yeah. Wearing that thing, like it's time for you know wrestling match or something. I like it. I used it in Tahoe this last year. Too bad you didn't have it on course with you after the barbed wire <laughs> oh, call, Dragon. Looking back, <laughs> I would have tarped it up and strapped it to my back. <laughs> you would have. You would have negated that DNF. Uh, uh, Bracken, you have something big coming up next week. Yeah. What's going on? Six-hour race in Tennessee. See, I didn't know this was in Tennessee. This, for some reason, ups the ante on the gravity of this race for you. The gravity is immense. So tell me about it. Well, it's a there's a race that's called the Mid-State Mile in Tennessee that happens each year, and it is one of those backyard ultras. It's a 1.1-mile loop with 340 feet of vert per lap. It's a lot. It is. And they send off a lap every 20 minutes. And it's last man standing type of deal. And this year they added in what they're calling the, uh, I think it's just called the Tennessee mile. And it's, they're doing six, 12 and 24 hour events where you just, it's not last man standing. It's just as many laps as you can get done in the allotted time. And the the course is called the murder mile. And it's like semi-famous down in those parts for just being a grind. Well, well, that's the equivalent of a vertical K as far as the 5K goes. And that's a gold standard, a 5K and a thousand feet of vert, I believe. Mm-hmm. And if you do the math on that, that gets you there. So that's a challenging loop. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it, it's going to be a, a grind. And and they're steep enough that it's pretty much you're hiking or you're running downhill. You can, I mean, you can run pieces of it, but for that amount of time, you got to be really, really ready to run. Is it one long gradual well, climb, so to speak, two. or is it a bunch of small ones? There's two, there's within that two climbs per lap. They're both pretty steep, like between cool. 20 and 50%. So you are going with your friend Ross. Yes. And are you racing or are you accompanying? Well, it's kind of changed over time. It's It happens just outside of Franklin, Tennessee, and I have family down there. And originally I said, well, I talked to Lisa. I said, let's just go down for this thing. Like, I'm training with him every day for it, or not every day, but many of the days. And 
we can go down see my family. It'll be a lot of fun. Maybe bring my parents with. And then the pandemic got worse and everything's spiking around here. And now no one's going down. Uh-huh. So it's just me. And my dad, I think, is actually going to jump in the car and drive down with me. But we're just going to drive down Friday, race Saturday, drive back. There's, we're not going to make this a family vacation anymore. So I'm, I'm going down there and I'm going to run every step of it with them. Um, but I will not like race myself because I'm not in any position to race for six hours, but I'm going to accompany him. I'm going to be an active crew. Okay. So your sole focus is to make sure that he gets through this well and your fitness is better than his in a sense in where you can run with him and have energy to expend crewing in an ideal world. Yeah. And I don't know what crewing will really have to look like because it's, again, it's a 1.1 mile loop. You can revisit your fluids in your station, you know, every 14 to 20 minutes. They I, they say you can hike the course in 20 minutes. Mm. So you really, if you didn't want to, you wouldn't have to carry anything. You could stop right. and take 30 seconds to do something, but I'll probably carry a bottle every other lap. You should carry all his stuff for him. <laughs> I'll sherp it. And just, just, yes, just hand it to him as he needs it. You can be his, yeah. I don't mind. Servant. It's going to be fun. It's his first, Good. I mean, I think, I believe it might be his first trail race ever let alone his first ultra. Now, Ross is a guy that we might want to try to get on the podcast because what's Ross's story real quick? Uh, without spoiling it, in case we have him on, he was a a really good athlete who went into football instead of running and played college football. And then in the last year, got tired of his weight being higher than he wanted it and started running and started listening to our podcast. And that's, that's it. Now he's down, what, 40 pounds or something like that. And he's going to run a six-hour ultra. From football player to ultra runner in, in a short amount of time. That's a pretty cool story. I'll be curious how it pans out for you guys. Me too. And we've talked about it. You know, he's he's a, he's a smart guy. He's an analytical guy and he's an athlete. So he's approaching this in the right way. But we've talked about how like it's going to get bad. And we have a couple main goals going in. The first is not get injured. You know, second is mm-hmm. not quit. And then the third is like no being an asshole. Yeah, that's a, that's one of our big points of emphasis because what does that mean? Well, you see people when they break down in races, they get really, really dickish to everybody around them. They just can't handle the like the full body and mental breakdown. And his wife's coming down with their young kids, and they have like a family vacation going on. And since he's never been in these places before, one of the big goals that I have set out is that no matter what happens, we're like we're smiling our way through this ultra. It will get dark and there's going to be things like take care of those feet, have multiple shoe options, make mm-hmm. sure if you get behind on any of that stuff, it could get a little salty pretty quick. So. Yeah. And it's so hard when you watch people's videos on YouTube or wherever of ultra race experiences, you have the people like Courtney Doalter who just grins her way through everything. And she's super polite to her crew and to the people on course and to the spectators and volunteers and race officials. And then you have Mm -hmm. people that just start snapping at everyone around them and they yell at their crew and they're really short and sarcastic with everyone. So no being an ass. That's the name of the game for us. Golden golden rule. I like it. Yeah. Easier said than done too. Good luck to you, Bracken. Um, People, we missed our Friday episode last week and I just thought we should address that. (laughs) And no real good reason other than it was the holiday. We were prioritizing a little time with family uh, you had your sisters in town, I believe. Yeah. Um, which you don't see very often. And we didn't do it because it didn't fall high on our priority list on a Thanksgiving week. We got some messages about some of you constantly refreshing your feed uh, for your Saturday long run. Sorry about that. 
I had a couple messages just wanting to know if we were okay, which I found <laughs> endearing. Um, but we don't plan on missing another Friday soon. No, no, we just we had one time slot and it was at night after Thanksgiving, and we both just decided, nah, family time. So we we probably should have addressed it on social media, but that's not that's not our style. Listen, our social media game is 100 right now, Bracken. We're putting out some quality content yes, on there. We are. Yeah. But the the plus side of all this is now Training Tuesday and Weekend Longer on the episodes align. We're always one episode ahead of the long episodes, and now we'll be even. Because we missed the Training Tuesday way back in our infancy, I believe. Yes, we did. Yeah. Um, let's jump into today's topic. You intro it. This is your baby. All right. Well, it's not my baby, but I, I figured it was child. worth talking. Mm. Well, you know, we always hear this this annoyingly cliche phrase like like your results are made in the off season or like what you do in the dark shows in the light and all these, you know, typical sayings. And as annoying as, as they are, there's truth to them. And it is my belief and your firm belief that what you do now when the motivation is starting to wane we don't really know when we're racing again. We would be in what we consider the off season is hands down the most important part of your 2021 success and why you need to stay poignant, purposeful, and motivated right now because this will determine the level of success you have next year. And I thought we should talk about that. Colleen Crocker, my mother, repeated that our entire childhood and young adult life that your season's one in the off season because my brother and I and my younger sister, we we were externally motivated. We didn't have internal drive. My older sister did, and she became a national team member at the age of 13. Wow, in what? Uh, rhythmic gymnastics. Amazing. We were, were externally motivated, and so we worked really hard in season. And my brother and I went to division three colleges. <laughs> you know, my sister, <laughs> my younger sister is super talented, so she got a full ride for basketball to D1. Um, but we were not off-season workers for the most part. And so she tried to drive it home for us, but nothing has driven it home for me like OCR has. Because even in track, it's a long season and the early season races don't matter. Nothing matters until conference and nationals anyways. And so you can take your time to get into shape in college and you're fine. Your sponsors don't drop you. Your scholarship doesn't get dropped. If you perform at the big meets, you're fine for the most part in most programs. That's the way it's looked at. And so I could get by like that. My brother could get by like that. But in OCR, every race matters unless you're only going after the world championship. And as we saw with like Robert Killian and his Spartan contract negotiations, you can win the world championship and nobody cares. <laughs> they didn't, I mean, people care, but the, the companies didn't care as much because he didn't put his work in throughout the season at the same level that they wanted him to. So anyways, OCR, it really drove home that you have to show up ready to rock every time there's a race. Well, and this is one of those sports, I think endurance athletics in general is one of those sports where talent only gets you so far. If you're an amazing basketball player talking about your sister, you can be a little out of shape when the season starts, but if you have that raw talent, you can fake it long enough and then come into your own midseason, and and nobody's going to bat an eyelash. And you can coast. And you can coast. Sure, exactly. You can coast. In this sport, you are rewarded for your efforts. Talent does doesn't hide, as you say, but talent also only gets you so far. And you need to lay foundation. You need to keep making bank account deposits with your fitness, and you need to stay on it. Because this is we chose this sport, and it's the one sport where we get a delayed effect to the work we put in. We don't see immediate results, and it's not always linear. 
but eventually it pays off, you know? And, and so by not going down that avenue right now, which means starting to build for next year with purpose, you're really selling, I think your top end consistent potential throughout the year short. And that's why it's so dang important to stay on it right now. Yeah. There is no coasting in running, you know, in basketball to come back to that. You can save yourself for offense while playing defense or vice versa. You can take plays off and then attack in spurts outside of the most talented runner in the world. You can't do that. You have to be on the entire race or you get dropped. And that's even more magnified in OCR where every race gets out hard and obstacles are taxing. So even if you are coasting, suddenly you're dropped or you're exhausted anyways. And that fitness starts now. Mm -hmm. And if you're talking in the grand scheme of the entire season, whether you're a Spartan athlete or a road racer or a trail racer, it doesn't really matter. Like we have one chance to coast all year. And that is in our final taper to our big event. That would be a version of coasting. And maybe for a, a full deload rest week where we're coasting. But again, it's with purpose. And the only time that those are effective is when you've earned it through consistency and putting the time in beforehand. So it almost doesn't equate to any other sport and any other level because you can't, you know, an amazing soccer player can be a little out of shape or come back from an injury and a week later can have the best game of their career. Basketball player can be the same thing. When have you seen that in running? Never, right? So, so it just drives home the point that now is the time. Don't get complacent. Don't use the procrastination model that Bracken used in high school. It's, it's now. It and is. so we want to dive into a number of different topics and avenues with this. And I'm going to preemptively like derail the, uh, the argument that, well, we've had three of the last five world champions have slow played their season. Like, yeah, sure. You can do that. If you're in the one, the 0.1% of the planet who are extremely talented, respond really quickly to training, have world-class ability, then you can slow play your season. But even to them, and that's not most people, you know, it's just not, there are a handful of people walking the planet that can do that. But even to those people, I would say, instead of letting it slide, just get more training cycles in, you know, mm. if you're going to slow play it and do a big training cycle, then race, get one in now and then take a two week break and then get another one in and take a two week break so that you continue springboarding yourself ahead. But this wait until later approach just doesn't work well with endurance sports. No. And the, the 0.01% that you say is talented enough and has already been at the top mm -hmm. is a very key, key point to make in this because I'm going to guarantee that 99.99% of our listeners are clawing and scratching their way or trying to get to the next level, right? Yeah. That The slow play approach, when you're trying to level up your ante, you're trying to make a name for yourself, you're trying to get on your first age group podium, you're trying to move from open to age group or age group to elite, it doesn't cut it. Slow play is, is a coward's way out, in my opinion. It's committing and clawing. If you're Robert Killian, sure, slow play. You've earned that right, Robert Killian, because you've won before. You know what your top level potential is, and you can do that. You can peak for one race. But establishing yourself in this sport early in a season when you're not the best yet, and none of us are. Mm -hmm. I'm not. You're not. Our listeners aren't, most likely. It's so pivotal to come in with fire. And you, you touched upon it. It's late stage career established athletes that can do it. Who has slow played their career, their season and won a world title? Hobie, Cody, and Robert Killian. All three of them were in their mid to late 30s. Two of them were in like 39 and 40. All three had won a world title previously. And all three had um, just had years of dominance and perfecting their skill. And 
years of building their fitness up. So they, that that's a very, very small end of the far end of the spectrum that can even think about getting away with that strategy. So now that we've excluded just mm -hmm. that small little piece, let's speak to every other mortal out there in the world. I like it. I like it. I just think people look at that like, God, uh, Robert Killian last year, like what a, it all came together and what a smart approach he took. And you do, you can pat him on the back and it all came together. He's just such an exception, not the rule. We, we haven't, and he earned that, that luxury that we all don't have. So that's why this conversation is relevant. And you know what the funny thing is? That if Ryan Woods or John Albin makes their spear throw, we might not even be saying that Ryan, that Robert had a great strategy. We might be saying, right. man, he slow played all year and took second or third at Worlds. And he took second or third all the other years without slow playing it. So maybe he should have just gone after it. So anyways, it takes mm -hmm. a confluence of a lot of factors to come together to justify your season. Yeah, that's exactly right. So let's, before we started recording, we just brought up a gentleman and I want to give the most perfect example of why showing up ready to race whenever that is, is important. Mm -hmm. And that is Mr. Ryan Kempson, right? Yeah. What happened with Ryan Kempson this last season? Well, 20, 20. The last two seasons. Yeah. He showed up ready to win the first race of the year. He showed up, mm -hmm. I would say he, Ryan Atkins, VJ Jones, all showed up in the type of fitness it would take to win the first race. And mm -hmm. they all had a lot of success. And then, especially in Ryan's case, because we know VJ and Atkins were going to be world beaters. But Ryan Kempson came onto the scene and took some people by surprise, but he stayed there. As soon as he earned his place at the table, he didn't give it up because he expected his name card to be sitting in front of his chair. And other people kind of bypassed that chair because it said Ryan Kempson on it. Whereas people mm -hmm. came in like, yeah, I'm going to do, I'm going to kind of give away Jacksonville and Alabama this year, but I'm going to be really ready by Big Bear. They never really arrived at the table because the pecking order gets set. And Hunter talked about this, didn't he? Yes, he did. He said... One of the problems is that if slow playing your season, if you're not the exact right kind of athlete who can deal with seventh place, 10th place finishes, is you, you get stuck in that mode. After two or three or four, fifth, eighth, 10th place finishes, you become a fifth, eighth, 10th place racer. Even if you, once your fitness improves, your mind game does not accept that. Your mentality is now locked into, I'm a back of the first pack racer instead of now my fitness says I'm ready to win because you're used to it. And so in, in distance running, the people who are successful are usually the people who are successful again and again. You don't see a lot of new people come in late in the season. And once you see a new person come in, they don't just disappear, do they? Suddenly that's their, that's their new place. For those of you who don't know, Ryan Kempson is a Spartan athlete who came out. He had never placed top five in a U.S. National Series race up to that point. He's never even cracked the top five. And he comes out in the opener of 2018 and wins the first race of the year as an athlete who's never placed in the top five. Okay, that would be unheard of. And the rest of the season, he led the U.S. National Series until the last race of the year. He had one bad race in Seattle. Otherwise, he was on the podium or in the top four in every single race throughout the rest of the season. A guy who's never even cracked the top five in a U.S. National Series race. <clears throat> Talk about coming out, establishing your new place in this world of racing. And then that's your new role. And then went top 10 at Worlds. And a mountain two course where in the past he wouldn't even have shown up. And if he did, he would have. I mean, the year before, I think he took in the 20th. He finished 50th. 50th? No, I think he faded finished. that bad. Did he finish in front of you or behind you? I thought behind you. He was you. behind me. Yeah, and what were you? I was like 24th or something. So yeah, he was at I'm, least he in the 30s. 40 something. Okay, yeah, so he, he went 40th 
to what, seventh, eighth? Yeah, somewhere in there, yeah. No, I think he was ninth. Okay, so anyways, he went from, he cut about 30 spots, somewhere between 30 and 40 places at Worlds, from outside of the top 30 to in the top 10, just because he arrived, and that was his place, and now those are the guys he expected to race with. So we're not mm-hmm. saying come in in peak fitness in February or March or April or May, whenever this crazy year starts. We're saying you have to show up ready to race at the position you expect to race in for the year. Mm-hmm. Another example of that didn't follow the quite the the trajectory that that Ryan Kempson did, but a guy who could have and should have won the U.S. National Series, Johnny Lunalima, mm-hmm. came in and finally established his new role, which is not common, but he finally established his new role at the top about Seattle when he took fourth place, and then he stayed there as well mm-hmm. and rode out the rest of the season. But as Johnny could look back and say, oh, wow, he he fought the odds there and he he repositioned his rank amongst the Spartan athletes. You got to think the guy's looking back saying, damn it. Like, I remember him saying at Jacksonville after the race, he was kind of following me and Veerman around and he couldn't reel us in. And, and he goes, I just wish I had one or two more tempo runs in before this. And that would have made all the difference in being able to stay connected. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking like, why didn't you do one or two more tempo runs before this? What what were you waiting for? Well, he was waiting to establish slow and consistent fitness, but it caught up to him a little later. Thus, he took second in the U.S. National Series instead of won it. So just another example, like, yeah, it looks good on paper, like he established himself midseason, but the whole what if mm-hmm. could have happened earlier. And I think that's just important to, to note. I wish I had one more tempo run in. We, we worked, we've worked with many athletes over the years both in regular standard running or triathlon or obstacle course racing. And it's depressing the amount of times the narrative repeats, which is someone gets close to a race and they're fired up six months out and they're fired up four months out and two weeks out. They, they just say, you know what? I just understand that that this race is going to be what it is. Like I'll come in with the fitness I have. And I really wish I had another month or two. And Mm -hmm. that just happens across the sport, across multiple sports, to the general populace of, of human because the off season during the off season, the races seem so far away and then winter hits for a large portion of the world and the races seem impossibly far away and then spring hits and races are there. And then, like there's this, time warp. yeah, there's this time warp though that happens where you go from races are impossibly far away to, Oh, we have a race in a month and I have three months of fitness to gain in four weeks and you can't. Mm-hmm. And so we just want to ensure that you don't get stuck in that that loop, which which is, oh, I just need a little bit more time. And we have the, the added layer of COVID and not even knowing when races are going to mm-hmm. resume. The last couple of years, the U.S. National Series has started in February mm-hmm. and and racing season across the country has already been underway. And now, you know, nothing is for certain. So it's just really easy to let all of those things uh, the limited daylight winter is here. Basically it's going to be, it's December today. Um, not knowing when our next race is, it's easy to just let all of those little chinks in your armor accumulate to, uh, I don't know, laying off of the, the throttle. And I just, I just, this is, you know, kind of another PSA episode in a <laughs> sense, and we're going to get into some specifics, but I just think it's really important for people to know it is. waiting is, is not right. Especially as, as we're going to hone in on like, when you're looking to jump to the next level, 
you have to do things that other people want. And I don't know anybody who's out there just like, I don't care if I improve. I just want to go out there and play with my friends. Mm-hmm. Sure, there's a handful of you, but that's not the majority. It's not the people listening to podcasts about training. It's true. Yeah, it's a good point. So it's even more relevant to everybody right now that's listening to this podcast. So I want everyone to ask themselves one question right now, which is prior to your biggest race failures or your biggest your seasons or races or training cycles where you realized, oh, I just screwed things up. Was the majority of the time the problem that you were too fit and there was nowhere to go from here? Or was it the problem that you weren't fit enough and you needed more training before the race? Just think about that and be really honest with yourself. And if your answer is, I was just too fit and I peaked too early, you can shut this episode off and you can go take a longer off season or reach out to us and ask about how to lengthen your season's peak. However, I just know that the vast majority of you are realizing, yeah, more often than not, I show up not as prepared as I'd like to be rather than, oh, I'm just way too sharp and I have nowhere to go from here. Yeah, yeah, and we're not we're not outlining like, Okay, so it's December and the off season in quotes is here, but we're still going to go rip out super intense anaerobic efforts and work beyond threshold and do these crazy intense efforts like we're mid-season and we're going to come in firing. That's not what we're necessarily outlining. We're outlining building base fitness with purpose. We're outlining setting yourself up for success through sort of beginning phase training, which kind of includes some quality work. But it's not like we're telling you to be in race ready peak interval type fitness right now. It's it's more being purposeful, being poignant and actually like following some sort of plan right now. Yeah. Yeah. The the worst case is that you get a month from a race and you realize I have way more than a month of work to do. The best case is you get a month from the race and realize I can be so race specific now because I put in all the prerequisite work. Now I can do the race specific work. And so this is the prerequisite work we are talking about today. That's it. Mm -hmm. We're not talking about sharpening or peaking. We're talking about putting in the work that's necessary in order to be race ready at the drop of a hat. Now I know we've done an episode on this already, but um, just to remind people listening, something you brought up before we hit the red record button was skill work. Mm -hmm. For example, when you talk about getting a month out best case scenario, and now you can just refine, so to speak, with good fitness. Um, I think skill work kind of comes into the conversation revolving around that. Like, what is your thought on skill work right now? And like, what does that mean? And how does that look? So first of all, I like to identify what skills I'm going to be missing on race day. So for most people in the running community, that is your anaerobic threshold. It's either uphill or downhill work. And then- Well, why don't we talk- Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, why don't we talk about that really quick? Like, what's really going to be the the true enhancement of your fitness and a race level? And you just said anaerobic threshold. Yes. I know we have our training terminology episode way back in the beginning, but what does that mean? Like, why do we want to focus on that? Well, if you're running below your anaerobic threshold, you can sustain it for a long time. Once you now, what that looks like, it's it's any you know 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 minutes. It depends how close to the threshold you are and how fit you are, how long you can extend that. But as soon as you cross over your anaerobic threshold, you are on borrowed time. At best, you might have 20 minutes left. Sustain that out. Yeah. And if you grow, the farther you go over it, the less time you have. And the longer you've been building into it, the less time you're going to have once you cross over that point. So the best thing you can do in a season is work on raising the ceiling on your anaerobic threshold, which means getting faster at slower than anaerobic work. 
so that during a race, you're able to keep pace with less effort, which gives you more time at that pace in a race. And so the great thing is that we're not saying you have to go do VO2 max work because you can't do that for very long. We're saying you do a lot of under threshold work that pushes the boundaries of that. And you can do that frequently for a long duration before you ever run into any sort of hiccups. One way to describe that is stay power. Yep. You're improving your stay power in, in races longer than 20, 30 minutes, which most of them are. And working on that, that base to your fitness is kind of the priority right now. Mm -hmm. I'm glad you mentioned that. So continue though. You said working on skill work and one of the priorities were improving your anaerobic threshold. Yeah. And then you, then uphills and downhills. And then in our sport of obstacle racing, uh, actual heavy carries and grip strength, endurance, moving through hanging obstacles, things like that. And so all of those have core components. You know, off-season threshold work will really help. Volume threshold work and short speed work will help with your anaerobic threshold. Uh, doing strength work and hill work will help with the actual hills. And then doing actual strength work and then obstacle work will help with the obstacles. But what you can't do is get a month out and realize now I have to lay the baseline for it, the, the groundwork for it, and then work on the specific skill. So if downhills are what you suck at. You can't improve your foot speed, your your ground contact time, your balance, your hip strength, your core stability one month out and work on the downhills. But what you can do is you can spend all off season working on your power, your balance, your ground contact time. And then as you get closer, you pair it with the actual technical skill of downhill running. When you mentioned uh, short, you said short intervals are okay. Mm -hmm. Short intervals would help. What, what are you referring to there? I mean, I know what you're referring to, but yeah, go ahead. Talking about anything from good solid strides after workouts or before workouts to finishing up long runs or threshold runs or easy runs with just some 150 meter intervals or 200s and taking some rest in between them, not doing anything crazy, but working at like mile pace or a little bit faster, mm -hmm. a, a time or two per week. You combine that with a good amount of volume and some threshold work and most people on this planet can race really well off that alone. That'll get you 90% of the way there. And you don't even have to worry about peaking. So you can work hard in an off season. You just don't do anything foolish. When he says short intervals, it's so I don't even know if you could look at them as intervals, but really you're just trying to keep or create biomechanical efficiency at higher speeds. So that when you transition out of base phase into true fitness building speed work, you're ready to hop right in and be productive day one and potentially race off of that type of work, but keeping your body familiar with those higher cadence, higher output, um, you know, strides we'll say is just super important. So sprinkling that in, but we're not necessarily trying to improve fitness by doing that. We're just trying to build or uh, maintain or improve efficiency is how I look at it. When you start getting longer, you get to the minute, 90 seconds, two minute, three minute mile repeat type fitness, like building workouts, that's different. Then we're going to start building from the base towards our peak. But those shorter bouts like that don't build a ton of fitness, but they build a ton of efficiency. And efficiency is kind of everything in this sport. It so is. that's why I like them in this phase. It's, it's interesting because I just went through this myself. So before Ryan Kent came out to do his mile time trial, I ran some 200s and 400s at mile pace to get a feel for it. Could I even do that? So I did mm -hmm. one workout of 200s and 400s. And then after he was done, I started testing out the, the uh, Alpha Flies and some other shoes. And I did a 400 meter workout. So I was running 200s at about 28 to 32 seconds. And then I was running 400s at 65, cutting down to 62 seconds. 
So all of this is mile pace and faster. And there's only mm -hmm. two workouts. Right prior to this, I ran that 5K time trial in 1738. That, what was that, eighth run back from, from starting up training again? 16th. 16th run. You're the one who's got it dialed in for me. So I did a 5K nah. time trial at 1738, which is, I think, 542 per mile. By the way, not to interrupt your story, but did you see the high school girl that broke the national record yeah, in the 5K? 1558 or something. 1558 on a cross course, a 5K cross course for a high school girl. Freaking unreal. And here you are running 1730. I know. <laughs> I thought I'd rub it in your face. Continue. But the last time I time trialed, I was 1558 on the road. So that makes me pretty humble to all. Yeah. Would you have outkicked there is the question. Oh, yeah. I would outkick. <laughs> so okay, here's my continue. timeline. 16th run back, I run a 5K time trial, 1738. 20th run, I pace Kent for that. 22nd run, I run the quarter miles. And now here in run 30 or 35, I did three by two mile. And uh, the first one was 540 pace, then 535 pace, then 530 pace, hmm. testing out shoes. So I did three by two mile faster than an all out 5K from 15 runs ago. And the only thing that changed in between was I ran some fast 200s and 400s at a very fast pace. And suddenly 530 pace felt like cruising. Whereas the first time 530 pace felt like I had to push and fight to, to find that speed. Mm -hmm. Now I got to just let my engine work because I didn't have to fight against myself mechanically. You, you buy them. I, I know I'm throwing that around a lot, but the biomechanical efficiency you have improved upon. Another word I've thrown around a number of times is neuromuscular adaptation, which is just your body's firing at its most efficient for that movement. Mm -hmm. um, in, that, in our case, when you're starting to run fast, you want to improve biomechanical efficiency and neuromuscular adaptation. So you're using uh, all of those muscles are being recruited at the least amount of cost, but with the highest amount of output. And that's, that's sort of the reason for those short intervals. So I'm glad you outlined that and notice the difference. That's, yeah. you know, you can't refute that. No. And that first day I thought about every stride, trying to make my arms pump without clenching, trying to make my feet turn over without straining. And during the, the two mile intervals yesterday, all I was focusing on was keeping my breathing relaxed and making sure my cadence was up. I didn't have to think about my stride as much because I'd put so much bang for my buck work into those short, fast intervals. So anyways, that's mm. the, the real world example of how doing something like that short and fast work when everything else I'm doing is basically just easy aerobic work in some hill sessions. It really pairs yeah. together nicely to run some pretty quick times without having to do anything really dangerous speed wise. And without risking coming even close to some sort of peak, you're still Zero laying risk. a foundation. Correct. So which is which is where we want to stay right now, unless yep. we have something coming up. Um, on the flip side of the coin, I just I just want to touch on the strength side of things right mm -hmm. now because again, it's a weird time. Some people have gyms, some don't. People are at home. People are still able to get under barbells at gyms. You just don't know. But um, uh, we've done whole episodes on this. I'm not going to dive into it too much. But right now, again, if you're going to talk about base. Um, fitness for running, you have to talk about base fitness in regards to your strength. And right now, Bracken's on this approach, I'm on this approach, is putting your body under heavy load, heavy stimulus, doing it frequently, and improving your overall high capacity output, which means raw strength and power. So this is the time, in my opinion, get rid of the Metcons, get rid of the wads, get rid of the high tempo work. Now that OCR Stars is done, we don't need your heart rate to get to 180 during strength work. We need to keep it completely low grade, high weight, low rep scheme to relay that foundation. You can get into the fancy Metcon stuff later when the season gets closer and you want to up your output ante as far as work over time. 
But the way to even make that more efficient is to build your raw power foundation right now. So going back into a five by five program or something like that, working the foundational lift, squat, deadlifts, maybe heavy pull-ups, bent over rows, um, maybe some heavy core movements. Going into that stuff right now, again, and relaying that, that foundation is super important. So I would couple your running, your threshold work, and a lot of just slow time on feet, which is totally okay right now, with some high rest, like take two to three minute recovery between heavy sets of five. You may barely break a sweat by the end of the workout, but you're really pushing around a lot of weight. And when you do that, Bracken, I'm assuming you've experienced the same thing, but right now my weight's going up five pounds a week on all my major lifts because I'm hitting squats and deads twice a week and I'm going up five pounds a week. And I can already notice that translate to a little bit of efficiency when I'm out running. Granted, I'm only nine runs deep into my my comeback, so to speak, but um, start hitting the weights heavy, man. That's That's my like biggest advice right now for this phase. Look at us about to disagree. You're going to disagree? Yeah. Uh, only partially. So I'm, I'm going to fight you on this. I'm, I'm in the, the heavyweight two to three times a week right now, but I'm keeping yeah. a single Metcon per week. Okay. Uh, and I'm doing that for a lot of my athletes as well. And, and it's with purpose because we're kind of moving into that part two of base training where volume's increasing, but we're also doing things like hill bounding and hill sprints and some fast finish long runs and things like that. And what's next on the horizon is real speed work and real compromised running work. And I see Metcons as the gateway to compromised running in that they keep that ability to transition between exercises sharp. You have to be able to transition quickly. And in fact, uh, with a lot of the athletes I'm talking about, we're going to stay at like 80 to 85% effort on the Metcons, but your transitions have to be fast. I don't want you resting during the exercises. I want you to work smoothly through them and then quick transition from the bar to the ground or whatever it is. So that when we start adding our compromise running back in, we don't have this weird adjustment period of, uh, I have to rest on my walking lunges, my weighted lunges, or resting on my burpees, or I'm really sluggish moving into my run. I want them to be able to work hard on the exercise portion so that they can put all of their energy and skill work into getting better at the compromised run portion. I think it depends where you're at in your we'll call it fitness journey with all of this, what your background is, what your natural tendencies as an athlete are. Um, I want to say we disagree on this. This might be one of our, our, our bigger disagreements. I just think like right now I pretty much stripped all my OCR work for my athletes and I, I stripped all the fancy stuff, which we were doing a lot of. Don't get me wrong. It's awesome. It's super awesome. Mm -hmm. I agree. It, it's good. But I just thought like, I think it was with Ian Hosick we had chatted. Or I don't remember. Maybe it was Ryan Kempson where it's like you can really focus on like if you really focus on one thing and build that up and get good at it then that's always that tool's always on your tool belt and you can move to the next thing. And I just think the two tools I want in my belt right now are like aerobic and anaerobic threshold and then raw strength and power and just kind of working on two things and then meshing them together later mm -hmm. on. But I mean, I can see benefit to both. I really can, depending on your tendency as an athlete, but it's just my, just where I'm at right now. And I agree with all of that. I'm just also adding one Metcon as a finisher per week. Oh, you're adding as a finisher to a strength workout? Either to a strength workout or finishing up an aerobic workout and doing a 10-minute Metcon. But they're not standalone workouts. They are either finishing up your main power lift or mm -hmm. finishing up an aerobic day. I like that. It's an add-on. Like yeah. But no cardio. Like you're not like go on the assault bike and then- No, no, no. There is no cardio component to it. It is all um, truly functional fitness. 
so that yeah, that right. component of the next stage of training isn't rusty when we get there so that the run can be the emphasis. I like that. I mean, I, I think that's a really good approach if that's the way you're looking at it. Yeah, it is. Not not, not getting on a cardio piece of equipment or anything. No, no, like actually. And, and I have a list of all the Metcons I use. And you're not allowed to choose anything with running, biking, or rowing right now. It has to be all movements, functional movements. Whew, I like that. We almost did that. Oh, could have been bad. Oh, I'm just going to have to unzip my sweatshirt. I'm starting to <laughs> sweat up in the pit area. Oh, I'm already there. Um, where, where, where's the next direction we want to take this conversation, Bracken? I do think that now is the time to bulletproof your downhills through, like you said, strengthening work. I think that if you break down the core components that every great downhill runner has is they have fantastic balance for one. The second thing is they have really strong, flexible hips. And then the third is that they have really strong, resilient core. On top of that, then they pair really good technique and repetitive downhill running. But the first three you can build without touching a hill. Work on your balance, which leads directly to ground contact time, which is everything in downhill running and being able to scramble left and right while going fast down. Work on your hip strength and mobility and your core strength. Those are things that you can work without leaving your house. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ankle and hip stability and mobility are kind of the two keys. Johnny Linolima, who's the best descender I've ever seen, puts such a strong emphasis on his hip mobility more than anything. Um, so I agree with that, actually. I think that's a really good point to make. Um, if you were to give a few specifics there, just real simple ones, do you have any that come to mind? Basically any mobility program, if it targets ankles and hips, is going to get it done. You can find stuff on YouTube. You can pay people for it. You can go to Cruise Elite. You can, you can do anything, but it has to be some sort of targeted mobility for athletes. But then um, I think squat and deadlift is important and front squat, but also then adding in single leg squat, um, split squat, and then jump roping. Ooh, do you jump rope? I do. Yeah. I did not for years. I hadn't jump roped since Colorado. And now I'm adding jump roping back in because it's getting back to the practice what I preach type of thing. I think jump roping is a fantastic skill for or for working on technical running and downhill running because it is all about you have to be able to absorb contact with the ground, get balanced and push power straight out into the ground and up off the ground as quick as possible. And it translates directly over to technical train running, higher cadence running and downhill running. Yeah. And if you haven't really jump roped before, it seems kind of gimmicky and stupid, like from the outside, if you don't know what it actually feels like, but go and try to jump rope study for one minute, if you haven't done mm -hmm. it before and see how it feels and what it does to you. You'd be very surprised actually how like engaging it can be. I talk all um, the time that speed is a function of power into the ground and how quickly you can get balanced and get off the ground. Mm -hmm. And that getting balanced and off the ground is entirely exposed by jump roping. If you jump on your left foot for, let's just say 20 or 30 straight jumps, and then you're right, you're going to feel a difference and you're going to feel how quickly that fatigues or how slow you are getting off the ground. You feel like you're sinking in each time that there's just energy jutting out right and left. It's not being transferred directly down. And that's a pathway you can directly improve just by jump roping. Mm. Another thing I think that really adds to the downhill um, is proprioception, which is really just a fancy way of saying your mind, like your body's awareness of its place in space. And being able to react and act quickly 
based on terrain features, turns, rocks, roots while you're descending. Super, super, super important. Quick feet, lateral movement, things like that. So doing sort of like agility drills and things like that um, can be super helpful if, if you're a little bit of a tentative downhill runner, being able to react to what's in front of you and make your feet move and adjust quickly based on what's happening. So I think that's a big component too that we, we kind of miss because we're such a linear sport that we forget about that component and then we get to a switchback descent with a bunch of crap in it and we're kind of dumbfounded. Sometimes our body can't do what we want it to do as quickly, which is something you're really good at with your ball sport background. You got little happy fast feet when you go down those technical trails. Well, it's the muscle memory that we've talked about. Just like 200s and 400s make 10K pace easier because you're not focusing on driving yourself forward. Your body just goes on autopilot and it can do it better. It's the same thing with your feet. When you work on jump roping or plyometric drills or fast feet drills, the faster your feet get and the better proprioception they get, the more they can go on autopilot. And most of us are autopilot on pavement. And some mm -hmm. people, a good percentage are on autopilot on smooth trail. And some people are on autopilot on technical trail. And some people are on autopilot Very on few. the nastiest terrain you can think of. You watch Killian Jornet descend. You know, you watch Ryan Atkins and a bunch of the Europeans who run that kind of terrain, a John Elbin, those people don't think about it and they're not expending physical or mental energy, forcing their body to get through terrain. Their feet are just flowing with it and that frees up their mind and their physical energy to work on the actual racing component of what they're doing. And you know what that comes back to? It comes back to your, your reason why jump roping is good is when you're agile, when you have good proprioception, um, good agility, good response time, you spend less time in contact with the ground as well, which is less damaging. So good descenders that are going faster, significantly faster than maybe you are, are also taking less damage and they're also accruing less fatigue because their ground contact time is so much less than yours instead of plotting and breaking and, mm -hmm. and adjusting slowly. Um, not only to get into the bottom faster, but they're getting to the bottom faster with less fatigue. Yeah. So it's just like layered with importance there. Good point to bring up. This is a good point to bring up. Yeah. Descending in technical terrain is a double-edged sword. The worse you are at it, the more it costs you. The better you are at it, the faster you go through with the less energy expended. And, mm -hmm. and then the rich get richer. And so you might as well focus on being good at that skill. So again, these are things you can do in the off season that don't get you anywhere near peaking, but they set you up to do a very pointed block of training at any point and suddenly be race ready. Yep. Yeah, I agree. And two, two more points that I want to make in regards to all this. And again, we, we did a skill work episode a ways back, but just as a reminder is work your weaknesses and work them often. Build that new tool in your tool belt, whatever that may be. I think now still a decent time to, to put that in there. And that means like if you're slow, like you're slow, like you can go and grind all day, but you feel like you go mile time trial and it's like a whole new world and your body just can't do it. You're the guy or girl who needs to put in those 100, 150 meter repeats at the end of your runs, just short, spicy stuff to just work that efficiency. I don't mean go out and do like high end four, eight, 400, 800 mile repeats right now, but just keep, make sure you put that in your arsenal. I feel like that's super, super important. Um, and then the other thing, I think this is a really good time um, before you jump into this off season or most of you're probably stuck in a weird training pattern where you don't really know what season you're in. Um, those like threshold time trials, I think are really, really good marker of if your base phase building is working. 
So like a 30 to 60 minute max distance time trial thrown into your program every four to six weeks. Mm -hmm. Super smart and helpful right now. If you're going to time trial, like sure, you could throw a 5K or a mile at yourself just for kicks to see what your base phase training is doing for you. But I think the real measure of how this is going to improve your race fitness is going to happen in those longer like lactate threshold time trials. So 30 to 60 minute max distance, max distance to see what you're doing if it's working. Because ideally in this phase, if it's done correctly, you should probably see that increase slowly, like your ability to perform over a long duration, even though we haven't filtered in super high end work. So longer time trials, um, I think is a, if you're gonna is a really good place right now. I absolutely agree. If you look at periodization in general, the purpose of it is to do whether you're talking strength training, whether you're talking ball sports, whether you're talking endurance running, is to do a lot of something at at an effort that does not trash you so that you can do less of it at a higher effort easier later. That's mm -hmm. really all it is. So if it's volume training or if it's weightlifting, if you're training for a one rep max of bench, you don't go out and do a lot of one rep maxes. You go out and do a lot of five reps over and over and over. And then when it comes time to start really getting ready towards the one rep max, then you do some three reps and then you do some overload weights with one when people helping you. And that's mm -hmm. no different with running. You go out and you do a lot of volume of, of running and then you do less volume with higher intensity running. And then you get right before a race and you do some incredibly intense running that's way harder than what you'd experience in a race or right at or at above with a lot of rest and even less reps. And then you go out and race. It's a pretty simple system. And right now you have to identify which stage of that system you are in. And then you simply match your purpose to that point. So with that, are you in the stage where it's time to build lots of reps so that later on it's easier to do the reps more efficiently, faster? Or are you starting to do faster, more efficient reps? None of us are getting towards the actual of overloading and becoming really, really, really nasty in our training with lots of rest and less reps because we're not close to a race. But you can go through a couple of the first two cycles with rest in between and keep building upwards. You don't have to just stay in a holding pattern with one of them for six months in preparation for a race. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And, um, going back one other ad I wanted to, to mention in regards to time trialing is another one I like to do. If you're in touch with your lactate threshold or your anaerobic threshold or any of those, you have an idea where your heart rate's going to sit with efforts. And, uh, another thing that I've been doing recently in my comeback actually, which is, I've really enjoyed is picking a heart rate and then staying at it. And so going out and say, I'm going to get my heart rate up to 170 and I'm going to hold it for 30 minutes and see what pace that gives me, let's say on flat terrain. Um, and then you can go back and retest the same thing at like a given heart rate and you can monitor efficiency and improvement in fitness that way. If you don't like the idea of like a time-based time trial, you can also go off a heart rate and just stick it out and be like, Oh, I ran five seconds per mile faster than I did four weeks ago at 170 beats per minute, that tells me that, you know, I'm biomechanically more efficient. My fitness is improving. So that's something I, I liked, I've been playing with it right now and it's been kind of fun for me. So I, I think that's another route people can take if they get excited about heart rate data and things like that. I like that. Do you find it difficult to, to stay at a number or is it become pretty easy once the exercise gets set in after a couple of minutes? Um, little things like variation in terrain, hills, uh, wind, things like that are tough circumstances to account for. So you'll see spikes. Uh, I've noticed I've, I've, if anything, I've had to then slow down. I'll, I'll breach it. And then I have to slow down. I'll tell you what it is super interesting though, watching, um, like my, my stay power fitness is poor, you know, clearly I've done nine runs now as of today, but my pace does deep. I mean, cardiac drift is real and my pace has to take a sharp drop 
pretty quickly once I get past like 20 minutes, it's just to keep my heart rate from rising too high, which tells me like, obviously I got some work to do, which mm -hmm. isn't a surprise. It's been, uh, it's been interesting. Something I'm going to play around with a little more. That's funny. I said that exact same thing to you this week that my, my slow endurance is pretty good right now. I can go spend hours on feet with no repercussions if it's slow. And my mm -hmm. short speed is actually surprisingly decent. Like I can go run a pretty quick pace for a very short period of time, but I just have no state power whatsoever. And that's what you lose when you take lots of time off. And so that's what our target is for our, for our off season is state power. Well, which is racing too. So like you're not ready to race. Correct. Long, like a hard hour long super race. You're just, but that's why would you be right now? But that's exactly the point that I think is really gratifying for us as runners is that post collegiately, there's just not a huge market for mile speed, you know, but what there is a big market for is 5k through 50k. That seems to be where the vast majority of races happen. And all of those distances can be raced close to your ceiling off aerobic work and threshold work. The two things yep. that you cannot really overdose on without really, really, really trying hard at it. The two things that are probably most important for stamina-based races that are between 20 minutes and six hours is aerobic power, aerobic output, and threshold. And, and again, that's why we can be so pointed in our off season is because you can come in prepared with those two pieces along with your skills and you can race really, really well. We don't have to worry about being out of shape. Our sport is predicated around staying power and staying power can be worked year round. That's why we don't need massive off seasons. Um, yeah, I agree with all that. I, I think the last point I wanted to make was there's going to be a camp that is kind of uh, nursing, let's say, chronic injury right now. Mm -hmm. And the Bracken Crocker pay now or pay later philosophy really, really, re if you think about really long-term success for next year, you need to nip any of these niggles and niggles in the butt right now. Oh, I'm dealing with my knee or my shins or my hips or my lower back or whatever the heck it is. Um, I would say pay now and I would say get that square right away as soon as you can so you can start your, your proper build and not have to be a slave to a, a lingering injury like I've done so many times in my career. I know we're telling you to start building and don't be lazy right now and, and start. But if you're in that camp, you need to really hard evaluate what you're actually working towards and what pushing through something right now is going to mean for you later in the year. When racing comes around, you're, you're still going to be dealing with it. It's going to limit how much you can train and you're not going to be happy with the level of fitness you attain. So I would just a uh, little... Uh, and I guess we're going, I'm backtracking on this whole episode by saying like, if you are in that boat, take care of it now. Don't do what we're saying. Get healthy. That's the number one priority. And don't train through this thinking I need to push hard right now when something bumps, like starts to pop up on you. Like you have to listen to that right now, because as you say, the best ability is availability. And if you show up because you were so motivated this off season, but you were pushing through some things you shouldn't have, that's going to be to your detriment. So don't be that person. If you got anything you're dealing with, I would say rip the bandaid off and take some rest right now and fix it now and then start what we're talking about. Don't push through that crap right now. That's the one exception or caveat to our episode. And then the other thing along with that is we're not just talking like build, build, build week after week after week. We're still talking about polarized training, periodized training, building for two or three weeks and taking a heavy deload week still. Just because we're not in mid-season doesn't mean we don't need to do that. Like if you're really putting in the volume right now and you're able to do that, like that's fantastic. 
but you have to still recover in there. So like, don't just think you need to do more and more and more and more and more until season gets closer. You still need to be smart with your recovery weeks to prevent that injury from popping up, to prevent anything from happening that way. So just a reminder on that, you still need to keep that structure in my opinion, not just layer more and more um, volume. I don't think you backtracked at all. I think you cemented the point of this podcast. This episode might as well be titled pay now or pay later because you have to identify what needs to be paid. Yeah, if you're sure. trying to be ready to race by April, you got to pay right now in training. If you want to be healthy and ready to race by April, you have to pay now in recovery. You just can't let things slide. This weekend, I don't know if anyone watched, there was uh, a, a situation I've never seen happen before in my life in the NFL. The Denver Broncos had no quarterbacks available to start the game because all of them got on the, the COVID protocol. And so mm -hmm. they asked the NFL if they could have their position coach start as a quarterback because he had played quarterback in college. And the NFL said, absolutely not. So they brought a practice team wide receiver up who had played a little quarterback in his past. And he started for them. And he completed like one of nine passes and three <laughs> interceptions. And it was terrible. But that's exactly what we're talking about. It's the, what those quarterbacks did is they showed up on a day they didn't have practice. All four met in the film room to watch film together. They went out of their way to get extra work in and they were lax on their COVID protocol. And I feel like that sums up what, you, what you're doing if you have an injury there, but you just wanna get more work in. Like they did mm. it with the best of intentions and it cost their team hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of dollars, you know? Yeah. They, they did it with the best of intentions and as a result, they didn't have availability. And that's what people are about to do to themselves. Like, I'm doing this for to be ready for a race. I know that I probably should pay more attention to what's going on physically right now, but I'm not going to because I want to push through and get better. And as a result, you're not even able to compete the next time. So remember the Denver Broncos. Don't be that <laughs> Pay now. Do it correctly. Take care of yourself physically so that you are available on race day. Yeah. It's just an important part we didn't talk about with we're just glorifying the build and laying the foundation. And I don't know how many of you out there are perfectly healthy without something you're monitoring. And so I feel like that's a real world training applicable sentiment there. Um, I'm fresh out, man. I think we, we, we covered what I wanted to cover. How about you? Me too. I do want to talk about, again, the mindset that comes with improved fitness, but I think we saved that for another day. Mm -hmm. I, I guess I'll close with a hint of that, which is, the purpose of a build is to get better, but I don't believe you get better and then arrive at a new spot mentally. It has to be paired together throughout the entire way. And so while you're preparing, let's say you were a, you were always just outside the top 10 in your age group last year, and you're training to be top 10 this year. Every workout's done as if you're a top 10 athlete. The mindset has to start now so that the fitness boosts it rather than the other way around. You don't arrive on race day and then realize, oh, hey, I'm a top 10 guy. You walk in on race day knowing that there's no way I'm not a top 10 guy or girl. The Matt, I mean, the Ryan Kempson thing exemplifies that, where he ran every workout looking at other people's Strava and realizing, if I can just run 520 pace when I'm tired, I am going to beat these people. And he ran every workout knowing, I think I'm going to win this race. I'm going to win this race. I know I'm going to win this race. Now it's going to be a fluke if I don't win this race. And that was his progression mindset wise. By the time he got to the race, he just knew like, this is my race to lose. And no one knows what's about to happen. And that is mm -hmm. so powerful because you just become that. 
rather than all all winter long. I'm running workouts. And I think the pace is good, but I really just need to get out there and run a race to see kind of where I'm at. No, no, the race is run and over before you even take the line. The race is only about proving what you've already become. And so that mindset piece is really important for this offseason build is the races, I would say, are finally in sight. We are within six months of racing. I hope so. Yes. Which means it's now time to think about them. And yeah. you're about to think about them. And so you must think about them as in the way you intend to perform, not the way that I was performing. And then we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. And how do you know how you intend to perform? Well, I think all of us at the top level are students of our competition. I think we know their tendencies. And I think doing a little Strava stalking or things like that, I mean, that's where that's where Ryan Kempson started to understand what pacing he needed to run. And he honed in on that and built his confidence that way. It's okay to be a student of your competition. Yeah. Um, your, your ego isn't too big to scope out what the people you're trying to beat are doing. No. So I like, I like that point. Um, to wrap this thing up, I wanted to give a shout out to uh, Mike Stefano over at Obstacle Running Adventures. He had me on his podcast. I think it was released. It'll be two days ago when you hear this. And he gave a nice interview. He asked us about the origin of our podcast, got to know kind of where this all started, Bracken, and my take on how this got off the ground. Um, asked me some personal stuff, which I thought he, he gave a nice interview and asked some questions that a lot of podcasts haven't asked me before. So I encourage you to go over and listen to Obstacle Running Adventures with Mike Stefano. Um, I think he did a good job. He does a nice job over there. I might even start listening to his podcast. I'm going to have to check this one out. And you were on there. Why don't you let the people know you were on there earlier this year, weren't you? Yeah, it wasn't a cookie cutter interview. Does a good job. He does. So go go check it out. Go give Obstacle Running Adventures a follow and some love. Um, he's working hard over there. All right. Next time you hear from me. No, oh, I can't say that. We're going to release one more before the, the ultra. But the next training Tuesday you hear from me, I'll have completed six hours on feet, which is kind of big for me mentally because that was basically what Tahoe was going to be. And I quit the race. Do you want to uh, give away a free month of coaching for the person who is closest to guessing your mileage? Okay. So Ross and I have a goal. We have an A, B, and a C goal for the mileage we're going to get in in six hours of running, 1.1 mile loops with 340 feet of vert per lap. We have an A, B, and a C goal. So whoever gets closest to hitting on the head what we do, I'll give away a month of coaching to as far as distance goes. Distance. And let's give the listener one more thing to think about so they can make an educated guess. What is Ross's roughly 5K time right now? He and I both think he could go about 19.30 to 20 minutes, depending if he was on what kind of terrain and whatever. So 6.15 pace, he could maybe run a 5K in right 5.42 or 5.46 in a mile the other day. His first time. Okay. All right. You heard it here. That's all the info you're getting. You got to guess the mileage. 1.1 mile loop, 300 plus feet of gain. How many miles are they going to go? You can go over or under on this, I think. Just the closest. Yeah. We'll see how dedicated people are. There are places they can look and figure out what, what our goal pace is. Got to be in by Friday, too. You can't be sending us stuff sneaking race results. That's right. Friday at 5 p.m. We're cutting it off. All right. I like that. Thanks for offering my services, Kirk. Yeah, you are uh, you are a giver, Bracken. And the person who is farthest away gets a year with Kirk. <laughs> I mean, I'm even more of a giver, I guess. <laughs> Somebody's going to write DNF, and I'll be the one giving it away. That's exactly right, because we are not stopping. Thank you.